Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast, coming to you during the latest international break where we spread COVID around the world. Um, I'm hosting as always, I'm Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening, Dan. And Carm. Good evening. How are we both, gents? Are we good? Yeah, very well, thanks. Yeah, bearing up. <laughs> right, we, we shall um, get straight into it then, and we're going to go for the low-hanging fruit today, I think. I think that the best place to start is um, Super Sunday, um, which, after quite a, from from my point of view anyway, quite an insipid first half, uh, actually was a Super Sunday. I was joking at half-time to some of my friends that, uh, as usual, we've got the, the Sky Boarfest, um, the big game that has been billed to be the next big thing in entertainment. It's actually been a, a disaster, but... Um, the first 20 minutes, uh, if, if I just get straight into my thoughts, was kind of like 3D chess. Um, and then Man City kind of got a grip on the game. They, they, we couldn't figure them out. They mastered our press. We couldn't get past those. Um, we somehow held on to half-time and then the game exploded into life. Yeah, the second half was a terrific game of football. I, I think you're a little bit harsh on the first half. I didn't think, agree, the first 15, 20 minutes wasn't great. But then I thought I thought both teams were nervous in the first 15, 20 minutes and, and gave it away more than you would expect out of a Liverpool-Manchester City game. I thought they, they were both a little bit profligate in possession. Um, and then, as you say, Dan, City settled down a little bit. I can imagine that the, the it didn't get much better in the first half from a Liverpool perspective because I think they continued to be relatively kind of scrappy in possession until half-time. Um, uh, and I, th- I think just some, some wasteful passing in the middle of midfield, particularly. I, I didn't think Fabinho used the ball as cleverly as he, as he normally does. But I thought in the second half, um, you know, Liverpool, you, you almost felt like watching it. Manchester City will have gone in at half-time thinking, we should be winning this game and we're not. Uh, and really, Liverpool came out much, much better in the second half. But it was a terrific game in the second half. I thought that reminded me of those, you know, Manchester United Arsenal games in the late nineties, those Liverpool Chelsea games in the mid noughties. Not only was it it, you know, a really entertaining watch, but it the intensity that the game was played at. You you don't see many Premier League games played at that level of intensity anymore. Um, you know, we've become much more sanguine in the way our football's played over here in the last five, six seasons, I think. Um but that was a, a a rip-roaring second half of proper Premier League football, great intensity, great tempo, two two really good sides going at it. And and credit Manchester City, because going behind twice at Anfield and, and fighting back twice and getting something out of the game, um, you know, does take an effort. And uh, I thought I thought a draw was the right result. I thought City would have been hard done by not to have got something. Yeah, for sure. I think um, certainly based on the, on the first half, I think you're right. There might have been a bit wondering, yeah, should we have, uh, should we have, got ahead because you don't really want to be going into Anfield at half-time having played well and, and not had anything to show for it. But I think on, on balance, I'd say probably a draw was a, a, a fair result. Um, and yeah, it was the second half was a, a brilliant encounter and, you know, probably the best 45 minutes of football that's been that's been played in the league so far this year uh, or this season, I should say. Um, and yeah, it could, keeps it interesting in that in that top four battle. You know, it's still very very close. You know, only a, a couple of points separating that that top four. And of course, you know, Liverpool have had, you know, Chelsea and now City. You know, already at home. Um, I, I guess if you look at it from that perspective, um, you know, would you have? Uh, you probably would be looking for more points from those games, Dan. Is that would that be fair? 
Well, our record at Anfield has been so good over the last few years. Well, yeah, we would. But at the same time, we were 1-0 down against Chelsea um, only for the, the handball penalty. And when Chelsea dig in as they did, that's not easy to get get through. And I, I thought we, we were so outplayed in the first half at home to City on Sunday. Where, to the extent, I think Jürgen kind of alluded to this in his... Um, his press conference, you know, if it was based on the second half, we should have won the game. Yeah. It was, obviously, football's two halves. City were great in the first half. So, a draw is not a bad result On in isolation. Uh, come the end of the season, um, is the league going to be decided by the, the the kind of, like, big six league or the big four league or whatever? Who knows? But at the same time, whilst we're dropping points, yes, we're at home, but the Chelsea's and the Cities are also dropping points. Yeah. And they're not beating us. So, it's it's... I'm kind of. I was more frustrated to have not won the game, but I completely agree with you both that City would well worth a draw. And um, whilst I've been quite critical of City's mentality over recent seasons, I thought the mentality was excellent. They did come off the canvas twice. Um, I yeah. still don't know how Fabinho didn't score at two-two. Um, Rodri came from nowhere. Yeah, he, he should have scored, shouldn't he? Yeah. I don't think he got his feet sorted out quickly enough. I didn't think, as, as I've already sort of alluded to, I didn't actually think it was um, it was Fabinho's best game by his Not at all. very high standards. I mean, or, or, or John Henderson player. Or, um, or yeah, Liverpool were a little bit outdone in midfield, um, but. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, how he didn't score that, I'm not quite so sure. Um, it's like something from the Matrix. It was bullet time. It just keep, <laughs> I, I didn't yeah. even see. It was right under my nose that I, that I had a very good view of that because it's it's right where I, like opposite where I sit, and I didn't even see Rodri. I just thought Fabinho was going to tap it in, and Neo suddenly appeared and started blocking bullets with his hands. <laughs> I think we should mention as well, Dan, because it was a kind of controversial incident in the game. The um, or incidents, let's say, was the the lack of a sending off for James Milner. Not necessarily for one incident, but um, obviously there was the one in the first half on Foden on the edge of the box, which wasn't a penalty, but I do think it was a foul. And if you if you, you know if the ref gives a free kick there, he has to book Milner. Um, then he got booked, and then there was the foul after he got booked. And I think um, you know Pep. Uh, was was fuming that that it wasn't a second yellow. Jurgen knew because straight away he substituted him, <laughs> which is always what happens in those scenarios. I, I have a question the, for you both about this. Um, at, at the game, I was under the impression that he gave the free kick against Jordan Henderson. Um, so I, I, I was I, I didn't th- I just thought Milner was in the vicinity, but I've not seen it back. So for what everyone said, it's, it's a second yellow. For Milner, and if if that's a free kick and it was, then like Milner's got to go if he's been booked. Yeah, but... I, I I think that I think it it was additionally annoying for Pep because the one in the first half because I think James Milner committed three absolute mandatory yellow card offences and got one yellow card, and I think that was what what City were fuming about. Oh yeah, that, that, Milner was, and you won't get many bigger James Milner fans than me. He's one of my favourite Liverpool players. Um, he was outmatched. Phil Foden had him. Over. Yeah, Foden, Foden was brilliant. On First half Sunday. in particular, he, 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 Phil Foden was not in the same league as Milner. Milner could not keep up with him. The finish for the first goal, I mean, it's just an incredible finish from that angle. 
the power and the precision yeah. you've got to strike that with. Brilliant goal. I, I think just to finish on the sort of the should Milner have been sent off, as I say, Jürgen knew straight away and subbed him. Um, but just on Pep's reaction, and this isn't a dig at Pep Guardiola, but we've had this conversation before. If Jose Mourinho had reacted on the touchline the way that Pep Guardiola reacted on the touchline, to, to admittedly he had a case, but if, if Jose Mourinho was the um, Manchester City manager and reacted like that, he'd have been sent off. No question whatsoever. I, I was surprised he wasn't, I have to say. In fact, at one point I thought he was because sort of, when he was started taking his, when he takes his jack, when he takes his expensive cardi jacket <laughs> off, you know he means business. At that point, I, I thought that was might have even been a reaction to him being yeah. sent off, but he wasn't. He just he just sat down in a huff. But yeah, um, I, 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 you know, we we we've said, I've said it before about Jurgen Klopp. You know, the famous incident in that in that Merseyside derby where he sprinted on the pitch when Liverpool scored the winner, like. Guardiola and Klopp have been fantastic for our game. There's no question about that. The, the quality of the Liverpool-Man City matches over recent years has been really high for, for such big state games. Um, but I think, as a result, they both get away at, at times, and Pep definitely did on Sunday, with behaviour in the technical area that I think, you know, going back over the years, Mourinho, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson had his fair share of sendings off from the from the technical area you know other managers would not have got away even Wenger in later years although I think he probably you know in his early years Wenger got away with quite a lot as well in a similar way that Klopp and, and, and Guardiola do um, I, I did feel a little bit that there was a bit of sort of you know leniency shown there to, to Pep I wonder if that was partly because Mike Dean knew that Pep was right about Milner <laughs> about being lucky to still be on the pitch um, but it was an interesting weekend for Mike Dean, wasn't it? And I know we're veering off onto tangential topics, but I think he was the VAR at Chelsea on Saturday who got very involved in a game he wasn't refereeing. And then he was the fourth official at Anfield on Sunday and got very involved in a game he wasn't refereeing. Refereeing so, soft so, power. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a typical weekend for Mike Dean, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, are you, are you saying there that Mike Dean was might have felt a bit sorry for Pep because he knew it was over? It's Mike Dean, of course he doesn't. Mike <laughs> Mike Dean is the kind of person who like, blows up on ninety minutes. So people like me who leave on ninety two of ninety four minutes gets caught in the human traffic and doesn't get home for two hours. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it was it was a, a great game. Um, I, I was talking to the person next to me and he was like, is this the, the biggest game in English football at the moment? It's, and I was like, it's probably the most anticipated and it's probably the one that has the most riding on it. Cause, I, I, mean, I think over the last five years, you know, it's always hard to look at one year in isolation and say, is this the biggest game? Is that the biggest game? You know, we, we might not know till March, April, which of which two of the four, maybe the three, we, we might touch on United in a bit, but which two of the four are going to emerge as the kind of, you know, the final two fighting it out on the final, excuse me, the final couple of weekends. Um, but I think when you look at it over a period of time, you can make that judgment. And over the last half decade, the Liverpool-Manchester City games have been the biggest games. I even think back to that year when City were unbeaten. And, and Liverpool beat them, the first team to beat them at Anfield in the sort of February or whenever it was. It was um, yeah. Yeah. Liverpool weren't competing for the, the title at that point. They were just trying to get into the top four. But but that point about, you know, it, it is 
a huge game and, and there were some huge confrontations in those games. I, I think over the last half decade, it's been the game in English football. And there haven't been many of those days, Dan. I think there was one, wasn't there, where City missed a penalty and nil-nil at Anfield. Yeah. Um, Mares, who hit it about 14 yards over the bar. It's 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 going to collide with Yapstams from Euro 2000. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a great pen, but 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 take that game out, and these have generally been really high quality games of football. And um, yeah, I mean, as I say, as a neutral, it was it was a real joy to watch that second half on Sunday. And just speaking of the the sort of joy joys to watch as well, I mean, we probably have to also we talked about Foden's goal. We probably have to mention Salah's because that was oh, also yeah. just absolutely insane. I mean, that is a the classic you know computer game or FIFA goal or whatever the whatever the kids call them these days. But um, I mean, that was just you know I mean obviously amazing work to set Pro up. Pro Evo in our day, Yeah, well, exactly. Or in, international superstar soccer, even if you go back. Uh, <laughs> it's it's and, now now known as eFootball, and it's absolutely dreadful. <laughs> And yeah, there we go. About two years where it was better than FIFA, didn't it? Two or three yeah, years. Yeah, and I think must have stolen all the developers, and... <laughs> where it was the game, and then FIFA just overtook it again. But yeah, anyway, no, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right, Con. It was a computer game goal. Um, but yeah, I was just going to say as well. You know, great work for for the opening goal from from him as well. You know, with the the running and the through ball, um, and then to sort of cap off. The performance with with that, you know, it's, it's you just sort of have to just keep watching it again because you like can't quite believe he's managed to do that. You know, we were talking about the Liverpool front line, you know, not getting any younger the other week, but then you see a, you know performances like that and you think, yeah, he's probably got another few years left at the very top. You would well, imagine. Well, Chris Sutton, because Chris Sutton has to say something ridiculous on the Monday Night Club on Five Live every week, <laughs> just so that he's in the news. Chris Sutton's line this week was Mo Salah's better than Messi. Um, and you know, I obviously I wouldn't sort of write off Messi. I know he's had a bit of a slow start at PSG, but I do think Mo Salah. Again, you look at the time he's been at Liverpool the last four or five seasons, he must be a top five player in the world over over that period of time. You know, there are not many, which is Messi and and possibly Cristiano in there. Uh, although he's obviously been slowing down a little bit, um, but Salah's right in there with that next crop of players. He's he's a tremendous footballer. Oh, oh, easily. yeah, he's, yeah. He's, yeah, definitely agree with that. And I think, I think the thing as well, everyone's rightly talking about the goal. Um, that was sensational. I also thought it was really, really superb play to break the, the way he did for for, for Mane's goal as well. Mm. To kind of like have the skill to come inside and then pick the right pass, which is something that you can can always say that Moore does because uh, he's, he's prone to well. Shooting, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but when you can shoot like ball. Mo Salah, Dan, you would be yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's always the retort, isn't it? It's like, well, um, but but I think I think they said it's it's I don't know if it's I think they said it's seven, seven in a row, seven games in a row. I presume in all in all competitions. Um, I don't know if that's yeah. He's he's gone nuts at the start of the season. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, he's he's even survived my attempt to jinx him by putting him in my fantasy team. So. Um... <laughs> It, it, it's not it, and like obviously there's, there's uh, like there's, there's goals against bums like Porto in, in there as well, but that that doesn't inflate his figures because he, he does it against the top teams. You know, he's yeah. he's class. I, I mean, I, I I won't want to be seen to be agreeing with Chris Sutton too often, <laughs> but uh, I I do think that, that there is a shout that Salah is actually now better than Messi and Ronaldo, who are probably the two greatest players ever. Um, but they are undoubtedly at the end of their careers, or all their careers are coming to an end. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a classic lazy punditry apples and oranges comparison, isn't it? But uh, as, yeah, as yeah, Paul yeah. says, it, yeah. it gets them in the, the headlines. I, I did see that headline, and as soon as I saw the word Sutton near it, I just <laughs> didn't bother reading any further. I'm like... <laughs> but, it, it, uh, my favourite Chris... My favourite Chris Sutton anecdote is always Andy Jacobs off um, Talk Sport, who's a Chelsea fan, um, and, and always said of Chris Sutton's time at Chelsea, you can tell when he's having a bad game because he goes and marks the centre-back. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was prone to playing centre-back himself. He was, yeah, yeah. Um, it, I, I, we need to move on because this is getting disturbingly into the Chris Sutton podcast and Robbie <laughs> Savage is never too far away and we really don't want that. Um so uh, we're just talking about, about Ronaldo um, possibly making a move into management in the future, which is just something that I'm putting words into our mouths. Um, the, the rumblings of dissatisfaction were pretty clear on Saturday. Can If we're having a look at teams who are happy and not happy with how things are going, if we start with teams that are not happy, I, I suspect that United are a couple of bad results away from considering themselves out of the title picture. And if results have gone differently this season they may already have done so uh, they may already be out of the picture but um, Liverpool and City drawing keep United firmly ensconced in the race but not looking convincing and I don't like to give Everton credit but Everton were well worth their points as well Khan I thought yeah definitely I mean it's it's a funny one like Solskjaer in some ways is the sort of luckiest manager going because we, we've we've been really bad um, at the start of the season which maybe not as bad as we were at the start of last season when we were also dreadful um, it seems to be a knack of his that we we always start poorly, but but then you know somehow we're still in the top four and two points off the top, and like based on performances, there's no way we have any right to be up there. Um, and yet somehow we go into this 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 break now, you know, in a sort of relatively comfortable. Now you could say, well, you're a level on points with Everton and Brighton, um, but then we're also level on points with Man City. So it, it's you know, what on the one hand it is still too early, and I certainly wouldn't be ruling probably anyone in or out of the title race just yet but as we said the other week we have that tough run in coming the Everton game was sort of almost the the the, the I don't know what you call it the 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 starter to the starter if you like before the international break but then it really tucks in that's the one aperitif yeah let, let's go with that that's a continental phrase and we are in an international <laughs> break so there we go um, and what for, probably try and hire it yeah, but I think it really, you know, it, that that run really sort of kicks in um, after this break, and I think that's that's going to be, um, I think, the real test to see does you know, does this team uh, have the legs for for the race and the sort of stomach for the fight? Because then it's yeah, then it's it's Leicester, Liverpool, Tottenham, um, you know, I think City and Chelsea in there as well. We play we play essentially the sort of traditional top six. Um, in our next sort of eight fixtures, and I think there's a there's a Watford thrown in there for some respite, but um, it's a tough run, um, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, our, our our results against those those sort of bigger clubs aren't always you know brilliant either. Um, we often struggle to, to to sort of even score in those games. I think there's been quite a few nil nils, um, so we need to look at uh, you know putting in some more convincing performances as much as anything else. I mean, yes, if we get the results, great, but. I think what we want to see is, you know, we've got an extremely expensive squad now with some actually good players in it as well. So there, there is that expectation now. Um, you know, I think reflecting on, on, on this a little bit, you know, we, since Solskjaer's come in, we've he's done two things really well, which is helped us identify, you know, players we, we, we actually need. Um, 
and and then getting those players recruited like we are much better at those things than we were before he joined but the third bit is getting the best out of those players now you've got them um and i think that's the challenge for him and it's you know is he ultimately a, a, a good enough manager to be able to do that um and does he have the sort of tactical nows to be able to adapt to those you know the, the big guns in in the premier league and i think that's that's the real test and i think the the jury's still out because we all too often just look like a one trick pony and sometimes the trick isn't even very good um and that's that's the worry i think whereas yeah you look at the the standard of that you know that liverpool city game that that's what we're up against right we need to be that good if we're going to stand a chance of winning the league otherwise we we will get left behind and we will be there with you know the Everton's and the Tottenham's and the Villas and whatever, um, if we're not careful. I think I do think it's a good point you make though, Khan, about about what Solskjaer has achieved because I feel like when Solskjaer inherited the squad from Mourinho, it still felt a very disjointed mess of a Manchester United squad, which he pretty much had since Ferguson left. And even in Ferguson's final couple of seasons, if we're being completely honest about things, he got more out of those teams than was probably in them. In, in reality. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't do well in this run of six or seven tough games after the international break, and United do end up mid-table um, at the start of December and decide that they need to make a change, the next Manchester United manager is coming into a squad that is not far away. I mean, we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast this season. United squad is scary in the forward areas. Do they need a bit more depth at the back? Maybe, yes. Another real high-quality player in central midfield, in the sort of deeper central midfield positions, yes. Um, but there isn't a lot else that's required. And, uh, and I think the squad has a balance uh, to a large extent now, although you might say it's a little bit top-heavy at the front of the pitch. But, but generally, there's a balance to the squad. There's some extremely talented players there. They're not all the wrong side of 30 obviously you've got Cristiano and, and he kind of is a bit of an exception you know there's likes of Matic and whatever knocking about but the majority of the squad is is in their 20s there is a real opportunity for it if, if, if Solskjaer gets moved on all the top managers in Europe who are available or who are looking for that next step up will fancy a crack at the Manchester United job whereas I'm not sure that was the case when Jose left I don't think it was. Look, it's Man United. It will always be attractive. But I don't think it was as attractive as it had been in the past. Um, and I think uh, the, the squad that Solskjaer has helped to build means that actually it will be attractive when it comes up again. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's a really good point. I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a mess when Mourinho left. It was still it was an expensive mess. I mean, I mentioned you know the, the current oh, squad yeah, is expensive. It's been expensive, you know, since since Ferguson left, and it's still been you know bang average. Um, yeah. But but now it is unquestionably, like I say, yeah, maybe a question mark against um, the sort of that central midfield bit and the the McFred pairing still sends the odd the odd shiver down the spine when you see it on the team sheet. But then you remember the alternative is Matic and you think, okay, it's fine. Um, but yeah, beyond that, in in the rest of it, there is certainly in the first eleven, and, and as obviously going forward, we have numerous options on the bench. You know, there is now that that expectation of okay, you've done he's done the groundwork, and I think Solskjaer can take credit for that. Um, he's given a sense of direction of the type of players he wants, and that's great. But it's like now you've got them, you know. It's 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 can you actually do the business when they're on the pitch? And like I say, jury's still out on that. Um, equally, as we've said before, I don't think there's any there's no rush. He's obviously got the goodwill factor from the fans because he's a he's a club legend. 
Um, and I, you know, let's. I don't think the Glazers particularly, um, you know, want want to get rid of him either. So I think he will. There will be patience one way or another. Um, but yeah, let's 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 maybe see where we are in in five or six weeks. <laughs> Come back to it. Um, it could be a very different picture. Interestingly, Dan, while we're on the topic of teams who are going into the international break with a bit of a sort of concern around them, um, Manchester United's first game back after the international break is away at Leicester. And I know we mentioned them last week, but 2-0 up away at Palace on on Sunday. Actually, the first bit of Super Sunday, which you might not have seen, Dan, but that was a pretty good game as well. Um, You know, Leicester were 2-0 up at Palace and and threw it away and ended up 2-all two wins from their first seven. We talked last week, they've not had the hardest run when you look at the the games on paper. Leicester have also got a difficult run of fixtures coming up. I think they play United and Arsenal and Chelsea all in the next sort of batch of fixtures after the international break. Um, You'd be worried at the moment if you're a Leicester fan because there's something not right there. Um, You know, the, the sort of line was, oh, well, wait till Vardy starts scoring. Well, Vardy scored on Sunday and they still couldn't get over the line. So, um, yeah, I I think Leicester will be one of the clubs who will be going into this break with a bit of a nervous look over their shoulder um, and around them. I'm not suggesting they're going to get dragged into a relegation dogfight. They've, they've got too many good players, but... They'll be concerned. Um, they seem to have lost the balance of their team a little bit, and, and Brendan's chopping and changing more than he has before, and I don't think he's quite got it got it where he wants it. And the other one that we know are already panicking a little bit because they've sacked a manager. He'd been in charge for at least 10 months, which for Watford is a record. <laughs> um, genuinely, the, the Posey family have been in charge of Watford 12 years. Um He's uh, Cisco's been in the job ten months. How many of the managers they've had do you think have been longer than ten months? Three, two. I was going to say three. He, he's their he's their third longest serving manager in wow. the twelve years, and he's been in charge ten months. Wow. That's so crazy. you know that that tells you all you need to know. Uh, let's see how Ranieri does. I think I was one of the people who laughed when Leicester appointed him, so I'll maybe keep my powder dry on. Um, <laughs> On Claudio to Watford, uh, but obviously they're already in a bit of a panic mode, looking over their shoulder and thinking, you know, they don't want to get dragged in because they had a decent start the first few games and and then it sort of tapered off a bit. Can can I make a suggestion about Leicester? By the way, which I meant to mention last week but didn't, um, and it, it's a point that I make every time it happens. Thursday night fizzy pop, pointless football. Yeah, they don't have the squad for it. Yeah, and you could say the same about West Ham, who lost at home to Brentford at the weekend. That's not a game you'd expect West Ham to lose. And, and if you if you think about it, West Ham had a great start the first three weeks. I think they were top of the league, weren't they? Yeah. And then they hit the period where the Europa League's kicked in, and all of a sudden the results have suffered a little bit. And again, you know, good team, West Ham. Good first 11, not the deepest squad. And playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, it does take it out of teams. And, and you're right, Dan, the history book tells us that. Yep, that's that would be my inclination. Um, it's kind of like I've used this phrase all once, but it's, it's low hanging fruit to um, to say Norwich are probably not happy with their position, but they're, they're going down, aren't they? They, they didn't lose this weekend, which is a start, but I don't think uh, the fruit can be hanging much lower <laughs> than, than Norwich, Derby County, um, and Billy Davis say otherwise. But yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, and and I think you know, yeah, Nor- Norwich have obviously not not taken to. They obviously they got a point at the weekend, but they've they've not looked good enough, have they? Um, in any of the games they've played. 
in the Premier and, League uh, last five years, probably. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And again, we talked last week about the fact they never seem to change when they come up. It's the same. The money must be going somewhere. But I think we also talked last week um, about the number of teams who were winless uh, after six games of the season, which I think going into the weekend, it was five, wasn't it? And then Leeds got to win this weekend in, in game seven. Um, and uh, we often say that people on the Athletic must must listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> and, and Khan noticed the other day that the Athletic have done the study and it was having five teams winless in the first six games is, is equal to the record set in 1964-65. Um, so that is, I mean, it does really reinforce what we were saying. It's very unusual for so many teams to go six games into a season without winning. Uh, obviously, Leeds have you know, have got themselves off the schneid now. I, I always thought Leeds would be okay, because, again, I think they've got too many good footballers. You'd be a bit worried if you're Southampton. Um, and I think Burnley, Newcastle, Norwich are all where, where we pretty much expected them to be. You're right, yeah. Um, the usual suspects are struggling. Um, the only team who I had, had down who who might struggle, who aren't struggling really, is Brighton. Yeah, so did I. I, I thought Brighton have struggled this year, and at the moment they, they're anything but. They battered us on Saturday for the first half particularly. Second half was a bit dull both ways, but... Brighton battered us first half and, and were unlucky not to be ahead at half-time. Without, the one thing about Brighton, right, and it's been the theme forever, is they don't score enough goals. And uh, they they battered us without creating loads of clear chances in that first half on Saturday. But if we're talking about teams who were delighted going into the international break, Brighton are right at the top of that list. They're level on points with Everton and Manchester United and Manchester City. I think if you'd offer Brighton fans that after seven games, <laughs> I think they'd have more than Snapchat. By, by Christmas, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I was I was thinking about that. I was meant to mention it the other week, but um, I wonder if uh, maybe Graham Potter's a, a listener, Paul, because I know you were saying that uh, has it. You know, he, he keeps being mentioned with these jobs, but he's done an un, you know bigger jobs, but and he's done an underwhelming sort of steady time at Brighton. So maybe maybe he really is preparing his CV for the Spurs job when. Uh, when Nuno inevitably gets the chop by Christmas. Well, I think I prefer Graham Potter to Nuno the way it's going at the moment. <laughs> if I was um, a Spurs fan, which obviously I'm not, as no. an Arsenal fan, Nuno in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, I guess the other obvious one is uh, in between those two teams of Brighton and Tottenham is Brentford, who we've mentioned a few times. And I know, Paul, you said called it right from the start that, you know, you, you don't think there'll be any trouble. And, yeah, I mean, seventh place after seven games is, you know, pretty pretty ridiculous for a newly promoted and, and a sort of fairly, you know, one of the sort of small and newly promoted clubs as well. Um, yeah. Sort of first time in the Premier League. Um, yeah, it doesn't really get much much better than that. No, just really good side. I, I think we said last time we talked about Brentford that we often talk about teams coming out of the championship before they're ready and Brentford had those two real near misses and and I think by the time they came up they were absolutely ready to be a Premier League team and I think it's showing uh, and they've done it without spending a fortune but but some of the players in their side just because they're not big names and they didn't go and spend you know big money on them when they were in the Premier League you know some of those players are really really talented players and and I think Anyone who was overlooking them, and Brian and Buemo is is one of my favourite players in the league already. I think he's outstanding, and I thought he was in the championship. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't say more about 
Brentford. Just really good manager, really good squad of players. Underrated, but but not under talented. Um, are they overachieving a bit if they finish in the top eight? Yes, but I, I think the top ten is not out of the realms of possibility for Brentford. Definitely not. They've been a very smooth start to the season. Um, the the team I'm going to highlight is kind of um, being happy with where they are. Um, his name we've cropped up, but not really spoken about too much so far. Is Everton. Um, when when Rafa took over, there were rumblings of the fans having a fallout and blah 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 blah. But um, ultimately, football is a results business, and it's not always pretty. But Everton look a, a good good a, a good side to me. They look settled. They look solid. Um, I think Rafa's brought in some excellent cheap signings. Um, I don't think anyone could have predicted Andros Townsend having quite the impact that he has. Um, and Damari Gray as well. Snip at one point seven million. Uh, they, they look, they look happy. They look like they're enjoying themselves at the moment. And unfortunately, the fans are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know we've 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 spoke about the fact that yeah, Rafa, he, yeah, he's not always uh, it's not always pretty to watch, but he 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 does the business, and he, he obviously knows this league, you know, like the back of his hand as well. Um, having managed a, a, a few clubs now in, in the Premier League, so he is a he's a steady hand on the tiller, right? And, and yeah, and they're not going to finish fifth, right? I mean, they had a good seat, they had a good start last season. Lest we forget, they were, you know, they'd won the Premier League in September, I think. Um, <laughs> so you know, they'll they'll tail off a bit, but yeah, fair play. Um, you know, so far those kind of you know bargain basement signings have really come through for them. Um, and yeah, they were they were certainly good value for a, for a point at the weekend. So. Fair, fair play to them. Like I say, I, I expect them to be more down around, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth. You know, maybe even come Christmas. But yeah, fair, fair enough. As it stands, they'll they'll be really happy with that. Yeah, um, and I, I I think that's absolutely right. I think Everton will be delighted to to have had the start they've had. Um, you know, again, obviously United was the start of a slightly tougher run for them fixture wise, but. You know, so far so good for Rafa, and if ever, again Everton will be looking and saying top eight has got to be the target, um, and they look well placed to to make that. Yeah, I think what. Yeah, completely agree. I think the the, the other cl- club I wanted to to touch on just, and and they're slap bang in the middle of the table, and it's and it's Aston Villa, um, who just seem to be having a bit of a meh start to the season given that they you know they've been sort of you know they've invested quite a bit i know obviously they lost graylish and, and a lot of their spending's been you know recycling that money and and maybe they're sort of missing that bit of bit of uh extra magic that he brought them perhaps but and i know they've had a couple of injuries as well but it doesn't feel like they've got off to a flying start as such um and they are you know i guess you know exactly where they, they probably deserve to be based on that but it just feels like there's been a lot of noise and momentum coming out of that club in terms of their ambition. And it just feels yeah. that to be 10th at this stage with clubs like Brentford and Brighton ahead of you feels like they aren't quite living up to that or aren't living up to maybe their own hype, if you like. Inconsistent, I think, is a problem at Villa. Um, you know, obviously, great win at Manchester United. I thought they were disappointing at Tottenham at the weekend, to be honest, against the Tottenham team that was a little bit there for the taking after the thrashing they got in the in the North London derby the week before um which I just had to sneak in again uh the um you know I I I thought Villa kind of almost waited for the game to happen to them I wonder a little bit if they're trying to find a system to fit Watkins and Ings both into and I'm not sure they look entirely comfortable yet 
I think last year they played with Watkins mainly as a sort of lone forward, and that just seemed a more comfortable fit for them at the moment. They they look a little bit like they're trying to fit their best eleven into a shape rather than you know what is the best combination of players here, and um, that's maybe led to that little bit of inconsistency early on. But yeah, again, in terms of where where a Villa looking to finish, they're another one of that crop of clubs that want to be in that top eight with the with the Evans and the and the Leicesters and the Spurs and the Arsenals and you know, they're in that West Ham, they're in that group as well. Now they can't all do it. So so mm. there's gonna be at least one or two teams who are disappointed at the end. But yeah, uh, that that's where they'll be aiming for. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um I think just as a as a as a just to go back to the point about the um the sort of winless teams, um, Paul, and may, maybe this is something we, we re- revisit in more detail when we've got a bit more time. But in in that list, there was there was quite a few um, sort of three and four teams that were winless after six in the sort of in the last decade or so, um, which sort of su- suggests that a bit of a trend in terms of, uh, you know, clubs down there struggling to get off the mark, obviously different clubs each season. Um but uh, I, I just wonder, you know, that there's a there's a great sort of marketing myth that the Premier League has spun for many many years now around it being the the league where anyone can beat anyone on their day, um, which I think is probably woven into the shirts of all the Sky Sports pundits. And um, and I, I just wonder, are, are we now getting to a point where there is that much sort of wealth inequality between you know the the, the bigger clubs, you know, and let's you know the the clubs we support versus those other teams and that actually is that going to become more of a thing where there just are teams that just simply can't compete and when they come up against those teams they just they don't have a hope um are we going to see you know sort of many many times where you know Norwich and Newcastle and and and, and Burnley and the teams that are down there you know getting um and I know they do have a few scalps to the names against those big teams but mm. are, are we at a point now where they really are going to be really rare events where we see a sort of bottom versus top and, and, and bottom somehow come out with a win. I don't know what your well, you thoughts look at, are on you that. You look at that bottom four, Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley, Southampton. I think if you probably looked the last three years, they are probably the four lowest spenders in, in that Premier League. Yeah. Now, I mean, in, in terms of transfer fees, I know Newcastle mm. spent a little bit last summer, but, but you look at it generally, um, you know, Norwich don't spend any money. We've talked about that. Newcastle... Uh, uh, we know finances are tight, although apparently the takeover's back on, so who knows? We talk about Burnley's finances almost every time we mention Burnley. Uh, and Southampton, really, you know, their model was based on buying cheap, selling, you know, on a, a, a big profit. And, and they just haven't been able to keep replenishing the players that Liverpool kept nicking off them. <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 it's, it's definitely true that the clubs you look at down there, haven't spent the money. Palace are, are a little bit higher up, but they don't spend a huge amount either. Everyone above that, Leicester, Wolves, Arsenal, Villa, West Ham, Spurs, okay, exclude Brentford, although they were a big spender for a championship club, exclude Brighton, who I think have outperformed their transfer spend, but then Everton in the top four. All those clubs I've just mentioned, with the exception of Brentford and Brighton, have spent fortunes in the last few years. Even Wolves. I know they've recouped quite a lot in, in transfer fees, but if you just look at outgoings and the money that people have paid, um, they're right up there. And while 
it's okay to say, well, look at net spend, look at net spend. Let, let's let's live in a world where um, uh, Wolves have a net spend of ten million pound, but they've sold a player for fifty million and bought two players for thirty million. Burnley have a net spend of ten million pound, but they've bought one player for ten million pound. Now that player for ten million pound is not likely to be as good as the two players that the Wolves type club have bought for thirty million. So even though, yeah, Wolves have recouped the money and well done to them, that's good scouting and good transfer strategy, that the net spend is an equivalent, right? It, it, it's the same on paper. Wolves have a net spend of 10 million. Burnley have a net spend of 10 million. But Burnley have bought a 10 million pound midfielder from the championship. And and Wolves have bought, you know, the latest Portuguese superstar. And they're all sort of slightly sort of inflated fictional examples. But you take the point that actually... Net spend matters, of course it does, but your gross transfer spend matters as well because you would expect that the guy who's costing thirty million is going to be a better footballer than the guy who's costing ten million. Now I know it doesn't always work out that way, <laughs> but that yeah. is what you would expect. And so, when clubs like Burnley and, and Southampton are not spending big money on transfer fees, eventually it shows up on the pitch. <coughs> Nabi Keita, <coughs> uh, a tick, tickle in your throat there, Dan. <laughs> Yes, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Oxlade Chamberlain. <clears throat> um, that's a bit harsh, to be fair. The former, not the, the latter, has been uh, decimated by injury. Um, okay, um, anything more for anything more? Or are, are, are we good? There's um, a couple of interesting results in the Football League this weekend, but that's just a normal normal week. Yeah, I, I, I think the one other thing, Dan, that we commented on when we were chatting to one another in the week that it, I thought it'd be useful to mention or worth mentioning was the the latest Jurgen Klopp comments on the on the vaccine situation. Ah, yes, of course. And the fact that, you know, I think he said 99% of the squad at Liverpool are, are vaccinated, um, and he really doesn't understand why more players across the league are not vaccinated. Um, and we talked about this before when he, you know, he, he spoke out about the, the chanting at, at Norwich a few weeks ago, that Klopp has really taken on that role that old Arsene Wenger role as being the kind of social conscience, if you like, of, of Premier League managers. Um, he always speaks very eloquently. I'm not saying, you know, that there's only one way to see the vaccine issue. I know it's a contentious issue. We may have listeners who, who disagree with the vaccine or whatever. I'm not making a political point about it. But I think, you know, having the courage and the conviction and the concision to be able to articulate a viewpoint on on a matter that's, you know, relates to football but on the periphery of the game I think is a real skill and, and Jurgen Klopp has it in abundance um, you know my personal view is I think more players should be willing to take the vaccine I think especially international break coming up now and these players are going to be traipsing off to various parts of the world we don't know what the rates are like in all these different countries um, I, I get it that some players will say well I'm a young fit professional footballer it's not going to affect me but we have seen the examples. Carl Darlow at Newcastle is the is the one that springs immediately to mind. Who, you know, spent days in hospital and it's taken him months to get back to where he was. Even last year at Newcastle, St. Maximum missed what five, six, seven weeks in the end. Gabriel at Arsenal, great first half for last season. Got COVID at Christmas. He was never the same player again. You look at him now in the first few games of this season when he's come back. He looks that same really imposing centre half he did last September and October. So. I get it that footballers say, "Well, I'm young and I'm not. I'm probably not going to die from COVID," but 
I, I don't think they should be, you know, taking it for granted that it's not going to have an impact on their general fitness and their general health. Yeah, I agree. I think very, very well said. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, Klopp spoke very, very well on it. And as you've, as you've said, he's he's becoming that sort of, yeah, go-to for the sort of social so, or socio-political commentary, if we call it that. Um, so yeah, it's good to see him in talking sense. Obviously, I, you know, I, no Liverpool fan by any stretch, but I do certainly respect him as a, as a manager. And I think uh, he's, he's, a, he's, seems a, a good a good man as well and yeah not afraid to kind of speak out when he when he when he when he thinks something's not not right which is uh which is what you want and not always a guarantee either <laughs> in football, I, think the thing we, I think the thing with Jürgen Kahn as you, as you just alluded to in a non-confrontational way it's very tribal and if he's not racing onto the field to celebrate an injury time winner in a Merseyside derby I think a lot of football fans identify with Jürgen because he's one of them, you know, he's, he's a football fan himself. He's not kind of the extreme football geek, and I mean that in a good way, um, about that that Pep is, you know, like, Jürgen speaks his mind, and it resonates with a lot of people, um, and most people seem to be willing to put the fact that he's the manager of one of their least favourite football teams, if that's the case, to the back of their mind. Yeah, nothing. that's a very fair point. Did did you have any anything from um, the, the the realms of the football league, Paul? No, no, nothing, nothing especially this this week, Dan. I think we talked last week uh, about the championship in some depth. We'll maybe obviously come back to the the football league after the international break. Uh, league one and league two will play this weekend, albeit the last international break. There were only about three league one games. It's got to the point where even league one teams seem to have, you know, a bunch of internationals uh, in their sides. And so games are postponed. I'm just looking this weekend. There's already one, two, three, four, five, six League One games postponed for international call-ups. Leaves only one, two, three, four fixtures in League One this weekend. So basically, it is now the case that on an international break, League Two plays. Nobody else does. <laughs> um, which I do think, that, you know, I do think is a little bit ridiculous and... Let's not have the debate about too much international football again, but I, I think we've made a point on that before. Yeah. Um, just just as a, a little segue on that, so, uh, and I know we don't like to talk about international football too much on this podcast, especially when you're around, Dan. But, um, <laughs> you know, one of England's opponents are Hungary. Um, yeah, I'm going week. to that. That's next Tuesday, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, yeah I might. I, some, someone was saying they've got a spare ticket and uh, I'm still trying to decide whether it's worth it or not yeah but um you know obviously we we spoke before the the other round of games when when england went over there that obviously was marred by the um you know the sort of the the actions of of the fans and so on and um you know i think they've subsequently had that sort of you know two two bob fine from (laughs) from uefa that we've come to expect um but yeah just and, and then i think there were the sort of scenes last week with the uh school kids uh booing a rangers player who had been a victim of racist abuse which you just think is how ridiculous does it get and it's like is is it actually getting worse um and and when is someone going to tackle it because at the moment it, it, it's almost like these these clubs and, and countries just seem to have a, a pass to, to do what they want and I, I just i don't you know it's a loss for words a little bit really but um i feel it should at least be acknowledged 
Um, not that there's a great deal that we can do about it on this podcast, at least, other than lament it. But, um, yeah, it just seems uh, it'll be interesting to see what reaction uh, Wembley has uh, for the Hungary team on Tuesday, for sure. Hopefully a left-wing <laughs> pro-vaccination <laughs> rainbow-covered mascot. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe a, a rainbow-coloured uh, sort of uh, sterilised needle or something to a... <laughs> well, well, it, it would be nice to see the FA make some sort of stand, wouldn't it, against um, against Hungary? But no doubt, if they did, UEFA would fine them a zillion pound or something. Mm, so mm. Um, they'll probably avoid it. Maybe a, a rainbow arch or something. Just oh, well, to... that was what I was going to say, and then just cop the fine because it's only going to be three hundred quid and a copy of Girly Worlds if, it, if it's a political gesture, <laughs> or you know, like we we, we don't want to be fining people too much for political gestures or. If you um, if you don't go on to international national duty, you're going to get banned for games. That's a more serious offence, apparently. Yeah, well, tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Yep, and as someone who is not exactly a big fan of releasing international players for international duty during a pandemic, uh, I think the safest thing... Or at be... any time, frankly. Or at any time. <laughs> let's, let's not pretend the pandemic's the only reason well, you don't okay, like yeah. international football. Well, quite. Let, let, let's, let's, be, let's be honest. I, I, if it was every player, apart from Liverpool players, being released for international football, <laughs> that's a problem. Um, but if it's not tournaments, um, yes, I... Uh, I bowed out of international football. I bowed out of international football a long time ago. I uh, I retired from international football quite young, relatively speaking. Of course, I'll still sit there and watch it. But uh, there we go. Right. Well, it's been a a nice look around um, the footballing world again. We, we we might have a week off. We'll, we'll ask to see about that. I think we'll probably be having a week off because there's not going to be much to talk about, apart from the fact that Harry Kane scored a hat-trick against Andorra. And I think Khan is actually away on international Oh, duty, yes, Khan is. Indeed, uh, indeed. Headed yeah. for warmer climbs, aren't you, Khan? called yes. up, finally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm awaiting my next international call. Well, to, to be fair, Khan, the way Turkey went on in the actual Euros, you might get a late call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd managed to sort of block that out of my mind, actually. But uh... so, Yeah, Ozan Kabak is looking for a, an international standard centre-half <laughs> partner, Khan. There you go. You might, yeah. you might, you might I may never return. <laughs> Con was more of a Con was more of a non-flying winger in his day, uh, Dan. He, yeah, he got a yeah. sort of David Beckham-like cross, but he wasn't he wasn't much for running up and down the wing. No, no, no. Left the running to other more more able-bodied uh, people. Yeah. Um, actually, that reminds me. Sorry, the one thing I was going to mention is anyone that's been near. Um, speaking of Beckham, anyone that's been anywhere near social media today, it's the twentieth yeah, anniversary of that oh, of that free kick, that, yeah. the free kick um, against Greece. Yeah, yeah, to, to celebrate yeah, a famous draw against Greece. <laughs> the BBC have got Beckham watching the watching the radio commentary. I don't know how that works, but uh, <laughs> Beckham on his Instagram, sitting there looking at his phone with the radio commentary on. Uh, listening to Alan Green going absolutely ballistic. Um, I mean, was a phenomenal free kick and, and one of them sort of moments that I think you, you do remember from international football. So many of these international qualifiers and friendlies and whatever are complete dead rubbers and most of the moments you remember for international football are the tournaments themselves. But 
that that qualification campaign, which obviously started with a defeat at Wembley to Germany and Keegan resigning in the toilet, and um, and <laughs> which then summed up his reign. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and then you know the insipid draw in Finland the following midweek, where Howard Wilkinson called up you know the oldest squad in the history of English football or something, recalled Lee Dixon and things like that, and then. Uh, and then obviously Sven coming in and, and the five one in Munich and then it all looked so good and then we got played off the pitch by Greece and, and Beckham scoring that free kick right at the end. I mean that is the one qualification campaign I think that really sticks out in the memory. Well it, it, they, not to extend things for too long. Um like uh, you make a good point that like international campaigns used to be exciting. Um, remember when we had to go to Italy in '97 to get out, which needed a draw, and we did a a, a battle in nil nil in, in Rome, and there was plenty yeah. of battling in the stand as well, if I remember rightly. Um, and that was just the Roman police. Yeah, well, quite yeah, but there was um, a, a battle in nil nil draw, if I remember rightly. Paul Lentz had a really good game, um, and England qualified um, top of the group, didn't they, on, on that occasion? For, for he did, having, having lost to Italy at Wembley. Um, we lost 1-0 to Italy at Wembley. Uh, Zola scored. Ian Walker was in goal that night. And it was the one start in competitive football that Glenn Hoddle gave to Matt Letizier as an England player. Oh, that's right, yeah. He started them at home to Italy. He didn't go so so well, and then he dropped him again. Yes, and and, uh, and now he peddles anti-vax stuff on uh, on Twitter. He'll no doubt be in the hungry end on uh, on Tuesday <laughs> night. <laughs> well, I, I don't think Matt Letizia has ever had any, any issues with going hungry, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and before we get ourselves into legal ramifications, <laughs> I think we're I'm pulling the plug, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, remember you can listen to the Big Football Podcast on um, Podbean, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. And we don't always make play on word joke, but when we do, boy, do we make a good job of it. Right, uh, take care, everyone, and we'll, we'll catch you again in, in a couple of weeks. <laughs>